Are you trying to figure out how to best grow your influence in your industry? How to merge together habits and goals and collaboration and your own expertise to find your own unique method and mixture to grow your influence? Well, if that is you, stay tuned for the next episode of the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. Welcome to the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast with Neil Schaefer, where I help marketers, entrepreneurs, and business owners grow their businesses using innovative marketing techniques, leveraging the concept of digital influence throughout digital and social media. Hey, everybody. Neil Schaefer here. Welcome to episode number 199. Can you believe it? I can't believe it, but we're here. It is episode number 199. Hopefully, by listening to this podcast, you have grown. I know that I have grown, and I'm really looking forward to a powerful 2021. I know we're already in February, but still, I'm just really hopeful for the year and for all that I've learned and for all my plans. And you'll have to listen to episode number 200 to find out about those. But today... We welcome my friend from Belgium, Geroen Cotut. Now, Geroen is the co-founder of SalesFlare. SalesFlare is a CRM tool, customer relationship management. But as they like to say, SalesFlare is about making CRM human. What I love about Geroen and about our interview which is all about how to grow influence in a red ocean, is his just real, genuinely authentic, easy to understand, easy to buy in. You're going to be wondering after this episode, why didn't you just do what should be natural to you earlier? And I think what Jerowin brings up is just common sense. Maybe it's because... He is the co-founder of a CRM software tool, and CRM is obviously the sales side, whereas maybe marketers try to complicate things and always chasing after the latest tool, the latest shiny new object. I think Jerwin's message is really, really profound, and it is really going to help you meet your goal of becoming more influential. I don't I don't know how better to say it than that. So without further ado, let's listen into my interview with Jerwin Cortut. Hey, Aaron. Welcome to the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. And you know what? As I said that, I realized I probably got the pronunciation wrong. It is Jorun Kortout. And yeah. for those of my listeners that have never heard of you, as I will confess, I hadn't well as well until you reached out to me. Please introduce yourself and uh, the company you work for. Yeah. So I'm, I'm Jorun Kortout. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of, of Salesflare. And Salesflare is a CRM system focused on helping you sell better. It's made for small and medium-sized businesses selling B2B. And we have now just about over uh, 2,000 companies actively using our software, I think. Many of them are, are agencies and so like marketing agencies, software development agencies, and also fast-growing uh, startup companies very often as well. Great. And from the accent, I think in my memory is not uh, incorrect that you are based out of Belgium, correct? Yeah, I'm based out of Belgium. You can hear that? or 
<laughs> very slightly, very slightly. Yeah. The name, you know, because uh, Jeroen's name is spelled J-E-R-O-E-N. So me as the, the typical American, is it pronounced Jeroen? And, and obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's I get all kinds of pronunciations like Jerome, Jeroen, whatever, everything. I can imagine. So as you can imagine, when we want to engage with and influence the digital consumer, we have search, we have social, we have email, and obviously the email is where the CRM fits in. So I'm curious, and I think when you proposed a, a title for today, it was really about growing influence, growing your company's influence in a sea of literally hundreds of competitors uh, mm-hmm. that also have similar CRM. It, it's a very mature market. CRMs have been around for, for quite some time now, and, and you have a gorilla in the market being Salesforce, obviously. So mm-hmm. tell me, you, you mentioned this in order to compete in the market. I mean, I guess I'll have you, you know, jump it off. You know, how is Salesflare going about using, uh, I suppose, influencer marketing or using this concept of growing influence to win market share and win customers? Yeah, exactly. So, so well, I had a look at your podcast. I really enjoyed some of the episodes and I saw it's mostly about maximizing your social influence. And so I thought that what would be most relevant today was me indeed sharing like how we go about this kind of thing. So to give you a bit of an idea how the CRM market looks, Mm-hmm. There's over 600 companies in there. Salesforce is a company that focuses very much on enterprises, big companies, huge, huge company worth, I don't know, even tens of billions or something. Sure. Then there's also a whole sea of small business CRMs. We mainly compete with systems like HubSpot and Pipedrive. Okay. These are hundreds to thousands of times bigger than us have about like in in terms of resources also hundreds to thousands of times more resources and established brands all these kind of things so it's it's really hard for us especially because often they can also put down more per click and all these kind of things so we we can hardly grow based on the traditional let's let's put in some ads and and get some return kind of model not even by getting paid listings and all this kind of things. Right. For those who don't know uh, yet about every listing or review site on the internet is rigged. It's all paid. So just to break your dreams there a bit. And you're, you're uh, talking about those, those B2B software review sites, right? We won't name names, but those are the ones you're talking about, correct? Yeah. I mean, even, even if the reviews are real, the visibility on these sites is is entirely defined by how much you pay and and often also the the combined scores or something the rankings the default ranking of very often you will land on a page that is ranked by a sponsored or they have made the score in such a way that big companies are are advantaged so that means that for us to get to get in front of people we need to we need to go for alternative ways more organic things and a lot of it is is based on social influence hence the the interesting the interesting topic i would say to, well, to yeah. act, actually yeah, i did a, yeah i was just going to say the fact that you know you you reached out to me and and i'm interviewing you on this podcast as you're the first crm company to be on my podcast so there you go you're obviously doing something different and doing something organic yeah i actually did a a little analysis of that coincidence today checking where people come from 
when they sign up for our software. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to summarize that, about, let's say, 30% comes from search and some kind of blog article or uh, a list, but there's not many. I mean, a lot of them are paid, so our chances are a bit lower there. Then there's uh, recommendations from friends, which is about 20%. Review sites is about 10%. Blog articles is about 10%. Social media is about 10%. And then that sort of starts adding up already to 80% and then 20, 20% other stuff. The way we go about this is, first of all, when we put out content of all types on our own channels, we focus very much on quality and we focus very much on imagining whether if you see our post in Google, why would you see our post in Google and what's the first thing you, you're, you're going to want to read and then build from there. And then similarly, if you see these things on social media, like, like how does that work? So we try to empathize with the reader of the article. And then we don't have it written by uh, copywriters. It's, it's a big problem on the internet nowadays that very often you, you, you want to know something more about a specific topic. And then you start Googling and then you find all these posts written by copywriters that don't really know the topic that well, that have been reading what other copywriters have been writing about the topic. So you get all these fluffy posts, which don't really help you. Yeah. And at some point we did that a bit as well. And I just started feeling really bad and I just wanted to stop it because it, it, it doesn't help anyone. It makes the world a worse place. And because of that also, it, it doesn't really compete effectively in, in things like Google either. When you write a really good article, you don't need a whole ton of backlinks. It will start ranking naturally. Google always says they don't track the behavior of people uh, on your site when they click through things, but they, they do. Like recent parts of these trials that they're going through now, and I don't know, they release documents to the... I don't know the details exactly, but there's this kind of inquiry going on. And in these these documents, it's very clear that they actually do that. So Yeah, uh, not a surprise. Which makes the case for quality content. Yeah, that's on the content level. And then what we try to do also, so there we try to make quality stuff that is very helpful for people and is exactly what they're looking for. But we try to go outside of that as well. Do webinars with other companies get on podcasts like this one and try to help other people with with the things they're looking for. And we try to do that on a very consistent basis. So we have set out goal, not goals, rather habits for ourselves, like how many of these we want to do in a month. So we can keep delivering value consistently to people and and keep building an audience outside of the, the people we already know. So you're let me let me start to break this down because you brought up a few points there. Let's let's mm-hmm. start with the with the content. And yes, I, I agree hundred percent. The the better the content, when people find it, your your content becomes sticky, they stay on your site longer, that helps your search engine rankings. I think I think anybody that is has any experience in SEO is probably nodding right now. How do you go about creating that quality content? I, I have a client and they have writers on staff. But the CEO literally approves every blog post. Yeah, I, I'm just curious what sort of quality, other than obviously imagining the and imagining the person what they want to read 
and, and delivering that, whether it's in the blog or for the appropriate social media platform, what is your internal procedures or the steps you take to ensure that that content, other than being written in-house, is high quality? Yeah. Any advice there? Uh, there's, there's a few things you can do. In general, I would say always have people write the things that know about it. If you have writers on staff, they might not nece- necessarily be uh, experts in a specific topic. So there's a few tips I can give there. First first tip is the, the hardest one, but I write a lot of stuff myself. That's just a quick way often to have something qualitative. And I only write about stuff that I know about, not about other things, because that also doesn't make sense. Then another thing you can do is interview experts on a specific topic. You could make it a podcast, make a, a, a transcript of that, and then and then like there's there's great services like rev.com for instance that mm-hmm. can make transcripts and then you can turn that into a blog post the danger with that is a little bit that it might not exactly be structured in a way that people are going to enjoy reading it right especially not when they come from search engines so you might do have to do some processing still there and then maybe present it to the expert and, and, and see whether they like it and maybe they can do a little bit of extra work on it. And a third tip I could give is something that was quite successful for us is make a sort of masterclass. So you think about a specific topic, mm-hmm. for instance, startup funding. And what I did then was break that topic down in 10 blog posts do a lot of keyword research around it, like which are the important topics in, in Google uh, searches, start grouping these things, then start uh, investigating search intent, like what is it that people want to read when they look for these topics, and then take these these topics and, and turn them into a coherent whole so that you make a series, which is super interesting to people. And if they like one post, they can go to the next one. But all of them by themselves also uh, represent something that is interesting by itself and that people can find in Google. And then the nice thing is you can then find an expert that knows the topic of startup funding very well, and they can write all these posts for you. The, the, the reason why I bring this up is because if for every post that you want to write, you need to find another expert, convince them and all, that's a lot of work. Uh, well, if you can batch that up and uh, convince someone to write 10 for you, <laughs> that's, uh, that's way easier. So I, I did that for a topic like uh, startup funding. I did that for content marketing. And I, I have one that I still want to do also with sales acceleration, mm-hmm. a lot of different sales topics. But I, that, that was a bit harder because uh, there's not a lot of sales experts that are great at writing. So. So, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to dive a little bit deeper here as well. Thank you very much for basically sharing your marketing strategy for lack of a better uh word. So, you mentioned this masterclass. So, I I ag- agree with that approach. I will take and I work with my clients and and I say what are the what are the 52 for any given category? Like on my blog, I have, you know, maybe 20 different categories. Some are more strategic than others, but influencer marketing, I wrote a book on the subject. So mm-hmm. I, I basically do the keyword research. What are the 52 keywords that I have to cover? What are the 52 blog posts in many cases? That What is that library of content that I, I need to have if I'm an expert in the subject? So I'm just curious at some point, 
Jeroen, do you get to a point, especially because it's, you know, more CRM related uh, blog, do you ever get to the point where once you do the series, you go into maintenance mode where you don't need to publish new content about that subject matter? You already have the content, but you need to keep it fresh and you need to keep uh, republishing it. Are you, are, yeah. do you do that? Are you at that phase as well? We, we do that all the time. If you, if you follow us on social media, Many of the things that you will see appearing are actually not new posts. They're older posts sure. um, that we've updated and reposted and all that. Mm-hmm. That really helps to rank posts in Google, yeah. one. And secondly, most people will not notice it when you post something again. And it's not like, unless they're this huge fans that read every single blog post you, you, you publish, those are a very, 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 very small minority. So it these posts, it's not because you once published them that they're not valuable anymore. You can repost them, mm-hmm. update them, bring them to people again, and and make make sure that they they deliver that value again. And like I said, it really helps for Google rankings as well. Yeah, and it's funny because in blogging, content marketing, everybody just talks about writing new blog posts, but you're gonna get to the point where you have all the content you need. You know, there's certain subjects, there's just, it's just, you know, keyword volume and what have you, there is a limitation. So I think that's, it's good to hear you're doing that because I think more companies should probably be investing, not necessarily in new content, but in updating old content, really getting the best bang for their buck. The other thing you mentioned was hiring an expert for these masterclass series of content. So are you talking about an internal expert? Are you talking about collaborating with an influencer or are you talking about reaching out to an external expert that that you're hiring to write the content. What, what, which approach do you take there? External experts. Well, okay. if you have them internally, then then it's then it's uh, easier. Then you don't necessarily need to batch it up because it's not a lot of work to find that person. It's really when you when you need an external expert that 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 makes much more sense. I personally basically convince people I know quite well that I know are experts on the topic. Got friends sometimes to, to write it for us. Sometimes for pay, sometimes not paid. Mm-hmm. It depends. But they're the expert. That's that's the key thing. Yeah, that's, that's the key thing. They actually know what they're writing about. Right. Like for instance, our, our startup funding masterclass was written by uh, someone who used to work in M&A, also used to work at a VC fund for a while. So he knows what he's writing about. It's not written by yeah, someone who, who's, who has been reading stuff to then write stuff again i mean that's and that's uh, by the way on that topic i sort of stopped accepting guest blogs also uh, a few months back because i just got really tired of that as well so what i what i what i started doing was asking people like so you are from company x so company x is really specialized in this specific topic right so i'm like if you write something, I want you to write about that topic and nothing else, because I assume you, you know that true and true. But then still, I wouldn't get qualitative blog posts. It would be like still a copywriter, half knowing the topic, even though it's it's the, the main thing their company does. And then I get this crappy thing that I almost don't want to promote. So yeah. I, I stopped with that as well. Yeah, I vet. Man, every day, just today before this call, I was going through guest blogger requests. I mean, I get a few a day. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I do these. In fact, you're, you're in, I take it one step further. Unless you're an expert on a specific category, in my case, related to digital social media marketing, I won't accept you. 
if you say you're an expert, you know, first of all, what company do you work for? And show me three links of published posts on that subject that you say you're an expert at, which showcases your subject matter expertise. And oh, that it, makes sense. It weeds out 90% of the people, as you can imagine, because they're writers and they get paid. This is actually, I'm about to record an episode on this. There's this whole black economy of people who get paid, you know, quote unquote, I, I'm doing air quotes right now, guest blogging, but they're really getting paid for, to place links on your site, right back to their clients. And they're doing this for mm-hmm. multiple clients and they do it with multiple partners who are doing the same thing. And those posts are often coming up, you know, pretty high in search engine rankings or those backlinks are really fueling why sometimes the best content doesn't show up in the, in page one. So I, I, I agree with your sentiments hundred percent. I wanted to cover two other things that you talked about as I'm still sort of un- unpacking uh, what you shared there. So you mentioned three things that you do to organically, you know, be heard. You mentioned interviewing experts and repurposing that content. You mentioned going on podcasts, you mentioned webinars. So to me, these all sound like elements of influencer marketing. You're tapping into, I, I assume, experts in your industry that hopefully are also going to share that content to their network. Obviously, relevant podcasts and webinars. I don't know if you're bringing in experts or maybe you're working together with influential partners in the space. So I'd, I'd like to go through each one of those three things and better understand the process. So let's start with interviews. Are these you know, industry influencers? Are they customers? Who are the people that you end up interviewing? And content-wise, that that was just my advice. I, we're currently, I, I want to do that, interview experts. I do interview people on my podcast, but it's not really about specific topics. Okay. Uh, it's more about startup founder life, specifically in SaaS companies. Gotcha. Uh, but that's something I want to do. I, I've more used the two other approaches where we either write it internally or do the masterclass. Okay, so so you have a podcast. So already you're you're unique. As a, as a startup founder and a, a CRM company having a podcast. But that podcast right now is not, it's not really marketing your company. It's really just about offering advice and value and conversations with other startup founders, I assume, correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's, 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 it's about exposing the person behind the company. A lot of startup founders sort of feel lonely in their position and they want to hear from others how it is for them. That's mainly what the podcast is about. Awesome. So, but you also mentioned that you go on other podcasts like this podcast. So what is your, what is your process there? I mean, I guess there are a lot of sales oriented podcasts out there. I've been on a few of them myself. Are those the types of, I assume you're, you're looking more for those sales or maybe small business. What process do you have for finding those podcasts? Yeah. So to give you the, the, the process fully in a, in a quite practical way, you go on listennotes.com. It's a great search engine for podcasters. There aren't really many others out there. You can type things like sales as a keyword or uh, startups, entrepreneur. I mean, this is kind of keywords that we've been uh, looking at. Mm -hmm. Then you basically, if you get a paid subscription, you have a bit more filters. So you can say uh, the podcast at least needs to have that many episodes. They uh, need to have published something in the last month. And a few more things like that, I don't exactly remember. Then you have the list in, in Listen Notes. And what Carrie, my colleague, does is she goes through them one by one mm-hmm. and picks out the relevant ones. The The email address is actually already there. because it's in the podcast RSS feed, yeah. 
listen notes has picked it up from the RSS feed. We, in the end, we take the list, we put it into Salesforce, our, our CRM system, which also has a way of sending an, an automated series of emails to people. Mm-hmm. And then we, she asks basically what the, what the process is to, to get on the podcast. And then people respond. And then that's where we then uh, book those. We look well into what the podcast is about so we can bring the right value to the podcast. And mostly I get to explain what Salesforce does. Sure. And then that brings people to Salesforce. That's just a small part of the episode and the rest is just bringing value. But people hear about us without us paying a dime. It's most podcasts have somewhere from a few hundred listeners to a few thousand, some of them tens of thousands. It's quite effective. People have been listening to you for a while. Whereas imagine placing an ad on the internet. It's it's much more effective for your branding, I would say. Have you found instances where, you know, on one of those, you know, tens of thousands or, or even a few thousands, episodes have been published and over the course of a few days, maybe on social media, heard about you on your podcast, want to try you out, or where did you find out about us? I don't know if you have that in your in your intake, but, you know, podcast. I mean, how are you, it, it's, the ROI podcasting is very hard to measure, especially when you're guesting, other yeah. than just sheer word of mouth brand awareness. But you do get the sense that there is that ROI there. Right, any anecdotes you can uh, share? Or? We do get the sense, but it's very hard to measure, like you said. So Rand Fishkin says, go look in Google Trends. I tried that. It's very hard to notice any peaks there, except if you go on the, I think when it shows hourly levels, then you can see a bit more. Uh, then you can sort of distinguish, oh, that that's that podcast going live. What we're starting to do now is ask people when they get on the software where they first heard about us. We have that in some running survey, but we don't get a lot of responses. Uh, so we want to up that a bit, but always without annoying people when they get on the software because um, these kind of things, yeah. Right. But then, yeah, you're right. You you cannot track where people came from in this in this case if you don't ask. It's not like you have a UTM uh, code or something. Right. I heard about people making specific landing pages for a while for podcasts, but I also heard that it's one, a lot of work. Two, the return is very minimal. And it actually works much better if you if you focus on delivering that value than, and 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 don't start selling too much instead of like uh, sending people to a, a a specific landing page and then you could sign up there and all that. Yeah, my my approach on that sort of brand awareness is just really to look at the direct, you know, in Google Analytics, the direct traffic you get. Mm-hmm. to your homepage that that to me is the ultimate in 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 a brand awareness KPI if that's going up you know that's the way it should be and i think a lot of people in the seo space also talk about the seo benefits of guesting that often and i'll be doing the same thing i mean mm-hmm. in the show notes there there is a link generated back to your website i i would never tell people to guest on podcast for the purpose of getting a backlink but that's a natural thing that does happen so Definitely. yeah and and it, i love the approach of listen notes so i also did a lot of guesting and i used a site called chartable.com and ah. i basically went through the top rankings and and they have one you know category of marketing looking at the top countries and and i was th- those filters you mentioned that's exactly it do they have at least 10 episodes 
and have they published in the last month? And that almost gets rid of you know, a third of the podcasts out there. The rankings really seem to bring to light very new podcasts I've found. And there's also a lot of them that just haven't published in a while that, that still rank. And it, it's strange. But uh, anyway, yeah. I also wanted to cover the webinar aspect. And I, I believe there's, tr- there's still tremendous value in webinars. And people say, oh, you know, live streams and the new webinars, what have you. But especially if you if you bring in influencers or work together with partners, we've seen these virtual summits that have popped up where you bring in 10, 20, 30 companies and you get this mass of thousands of people. So tell me about that webinar strategy you have. Yeah, the summits, I've done a ton of those in March, April, May. I cannot prove any return there. I'm not sure whether whether it worked. Very often, it's this kind of big events where people don't go listen to one person, but go through a series of those. And they just, I, I don't know, they must be almost asleep or something. And the, the, the networking possibilities, I've never seen it really work so yeah. far. It's hard. So I'm not really uh, super excited by that. Webinars with other companies that have a similar audience is something that tends to work much better. There's much more commitment there. People know what they come for. You can adjust it very well to their audience. You can discuss with each other also which audience you're going to focus on, what the message is going to be, how you're going to collaborate. For instance, did one this week for the audience of DuckSoup is a LinkedIn automation tool. Yep, yep. And that was very successful. They have a huge audience, all interested in things like LinkedIn automation. And I did something on sales automation, which included some LinkedIn automation. And I got a lot of people connecting with me after that on LinkedIn. And also a bunch of trials of people wanting to try out what I, what I showed in the presentation. So I, I definitely recommend that much more than, than the generic conference talk kind of thing. So these are these are companies that serve a similar market. They're not competitors, and you're reaching out to them, saying, yeah. "Hey, let's let's do a webinar together and really cross cross promote to yeah. you know the audiences and the products." It makes Usually, there's 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 multiple things we can do together. There's integration possibilities. There's putting each other on uh, each other's integrations pages. There's maybe maybe the, the the founder is a good fit for my podcast. Maybe they have a podcast. You, maybe you can do a webinar together. There's all these kind of things that you can explore. Yeah. So I, my background is is B2B sales. And I've always had that ecosystem approach to, to business. And I think a lot of businesses forget about that partnership approach, mm-hmm. especially in, in, in digital and social media. And I think that can be really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. And you also mentioned, you know, that just the last thing I wanted to cover was the KPIs. And the KPIs for a lot of this just cadence. And, and I'm with you. It's the same reason why I publish a new podcast every week. I blog every week. I'm actually adding guest blogging every week to that. And I recently did uh, 100 guest podcast episodes promoting my new book, but I want to continue, you know, maybe weekly, maybe monthly, I don't know, continuing to appear on other podcasts. So I assume you have similar numbers, whether it's weekly or monthly or quarterly or yearly that you want to, you want to appear on other people's digital properties, yeah. correct? Yeah, that is, we, we think about it the same way now. Like in the past, we uh, used to be very focused on reaching certain numeric goals. But then we started figuring that what helped us most if we is if we would put consistent effort behind things. And this is not just when it comes to influencer marketing, it's all across the company. It's also the way we build the product and all. We know we want to do a specific amount of something in a month. We define these things. We have clear focus areas. 
And then the goals are still there, the numeric goals, but it makes it much easier to reach those if we put in that consistent effort that we put forward. To, and that's exactly like you're doing. If you If you keep at these things, it will pay off. It's just a matter of always keeping that that habit, like we call it, or that cadence, like you call it, you will you will get to whatever it is you want to achieve. Yeah, and I think when you get there, I'm now at a point where I'm starting to look at quarterly goals. We're recording this the first day of Q4, October 1st, serendipitously. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, Q3 versus Q2, how did I do? Let me either increase or decrease those cadences and see how it might impact things, right? So once you have that track record, you can begin further experimentations to find an even better cadence. So uh, I'm glad we, we think very much alike. Yurun, you've been an awesome guest, really been really op- open about sharing your your experiences in, in influencer marketing, what have you. I did want to give you a chance to, <laughs> I know you weren't expecting this. So those of you that know me know that I used to run a conference called the Social Tools Summit. And I've always been seen as sort of an expert on MarTech you know, technology. So I am one of those small business owners. I actually used in earlier in my sales career, I used to use a tool called Goldmine, oh, yeah. <laughs> which you can probably laugh about, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then Salesforce came out and we all had to move to Salesforce. And I understand the complexity of Salesforce is, is really intense for a smaller business. So I'm one of those typical small business owners that don't have a CRM. I do mm-hmm. have active campaign. So a lot of email marketing companies are getting in and offering very simple CRM. But in terms of being able to tag through the email marketing and, and running automations and be able to do certain things with that CRM, how would you sell or how would you sort of compare what am I missing out on? And for everyone listening as well, what are we missing out on by not using a tool like Salesflare? Yeah, there's a lot of tools to compare with. Uh, Goldmine is something from, from a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, that's history. Salesforce. That's actually, it actually started sort of from a frustration with Salesforce. I, I had to use mm. it myself for, for about four years as an account manager, a salesperson. And also we would uh, use it at, at clients. I noticed that I couldn't organize myself in Salesforce. People told me I was a tool to organize myself with my sales, but I didn't see that working. And for my colleagues, it didn't really work either. Like it's very hard to keep track of what you've been doing and what you need to do and all those kind of things in Salesforce. And what it ended up being was a, a management reporting uh, system. It's a tool uh, for salesmen. I've always thought more than salespeople. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but, but I don't think it was initially intended that way. But then as their focus started going to bigger and bigger companies, uh, that's certainly what it ended up to be. So I had that frustration for a while. Then I started working together with my current co-founder on a business intelligence software company. And we had a lot of leads and we wanted to follow them up. And I knew Salesforce wasn't going to help us. I tried some other CRMs and we actually, in the end, made a sheet, I think, because we we felt that was the easiest way. And I know a lot of uh, small business owners are the same. Yeah. yeah, we had a Google Sheet because we could share it. That was that was easy. But what we what we always noticed, whatever we used, was that it always started failing because we were failing. We were failing to properly uh, keep it up to date, to fill it out the way we were supposed to. And then we started figuring that actually the things we were inputting into our quote unquote CRM system was data that was already somewhere else. So. We were emailing in one system and then going into our sheet and saying, we emailed the person 
or we were copying uh, their phone number from their email signature, or we had a meeting with them in the calendar and we had to then put that in the sheet, or we called them that was in our phone and we had to then do, you know, all these things that are in different systems already that need to end up in the CRM, but we all had to do that manually. And we saw a system in, in front of us that would like sit on top of all that, these, that existing data, sort of integrate with all of it, surface it and make it super easy for us to keep track of it without us almost having to do anything. And at the same time, actually, I also showed MailChimp to my co-founder. Like we did our first email marketing campaign for that company. And I showed like, oh, you can see when I open the emails and click. And then, and then he was like, oh my God, that's so interesting. So from the start, we also built in email tracking, uh, opens and clicks, integrated mm-hmm. web- website tracking. So mm-hmm. it became the system that tracks everything within your sales process without you having to do anything. Wow. And we turned that into a tool that also really helps with following up your leads because Salesforce will create the overview. It will send you automated reminders when you need them so that you can perfectly follow up your customers at every point. Now, compared to active campaign, active campaign is really like more like an email marketing solution Absolutely. that has some CRM built in. It's much more focused on the email marketing than it is on the, on the sales part. For us, it's the other way around. We are a sales CRM and we have actually built in some email functionality as well. That email functionality is quite different from the email, the, the active campaign functionality though, where active campaign sends from a central server, more marketing style emails. We automate personal emails at scale. So it connects to your inbox and you can make it send, for instance, a series of emails. Like I explained earlier that we sent to, po- to podcasts to get on, the, get on the podcast from your inbox. It looks completely personal. Nobody knows it's a, an automated email. And it also ends up in your send folder like every other email and all that. That's what we do in Salesforce. So that's, that's great. That's a thing. You, so that's really exciting. You, you built it from the ground up based on your own experiences, your own frustrations. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel you know, sit on top of everything and bring everything together yeah. uh, and, and make it smart. It sounds like you also have some machine learning or some AI, you know, automation components as well that, mm-hmm. that help. Once I assume you put in your goals, those reminders and those things will start coming your way, correct? Yeah. You can customize them also a bit like if you want to uh, have a reminder every five days or every, depending on the stage that you're in, whatever, all these kind of things are possible. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, Jeroen, thank you so much and for that explanation as well. If my listeners are interested to learn more about Salesflare as well as maybe your podcast, because I'm sure there's some uh, startup founders here as well, where can people go? Yeah. So for Salesflare, it's salesflare.com and sales and then Flare, Flare is F-L-A-R-E.com. If you want to try the software, there's a button at the top right. There's a, a trial that you can use for I think seven to 30 days. It depends on how many steps you take in the setup. You get extra days. It's a gamified a bit. Then for the podcast, it's uh, foundercoffee.salesflare.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that through LinkedIn. Uh, there's only one person with my name. You need to find somewhere how it's spelled. Uh, you just uh, input that in the search. Then please add a note because I get an enormous amount of spam on LinkedIn. So if you don't say that you got from this podcast and I, and I won't know and I will ignore you. But if you add a note, I will accept and we can have a conversation. 
Excellent. So I'll put those in the show notes. Yarun, thank you so much. I know I've learned a lot today and I'm sure that this the listeners have as well. So thanks again. And best of luck, hopefully we'll, when this pandemic is over, we'll be able to meet in person at a conference sometime. Sounds good. This was fun. All right. I hope you really enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I want to ask you if you would please hit that subscribe button. Actually, Jeroen is the last interview that I recorded in my last round of interviews. So starting in two weeks, you'll hear a fresh, these were recorded in 2021 interviews. People like Pam Didner, who's going to talk about sales and marketing alignment. This is, if you work in a B2B environment, I think this is going to be really important. We have Stefan Spencer, who is one of the top 10 authorities on search engine optimization. Look him up. He's legit, written like college textbooks on the subject. We're going to be talking about YouTube and really search engine optimization for YouTube. Not just YouTube, search engine optimization in general, but we're going to talk a lot about YouTube. We have Kate Scavish. Speaking of video, Kate is the CMO of Wave.video, and we're going to talk about all about how to really get started and or optimize your video. We also have James Creech. James is the CEO and co-founder of two companies. One is an influencer marketing tool called Paladin, and the other is a newly launched social media measurement, specifically on content that I think you're going to be really excited to hear. So make sure you hit the subscribe button you, so you won't miss those upcoming interviews. Obviously, the next episode is episode number 200, and I'm excited to be announcing something of my own. You'll have to tune in for that. So subscribe. I really appreciate all of the reviews that you have posted online. I've seen a lot of you share episodes on and tag me on Instagram, on Twitter. I really appreciate that. Please make sure you tag me so that I can thank you. And who knows what will become of the relationship. I also want to thank all of you who have joined me on Clubhouse. I continue my almost weekly, every Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. But in addition to these weekly episodes, and I'm going to be introducing podcast guests on these episodes going forward as well. I've also been simulcasting the recording of my podcast episodes. So starting with Pam, uh, if you were following me on Clubhouse and if you signed up for notifications, you would have known when I interviewed them and you would have been the first to hear the interview. And in fact, for those of my podcast guests who are actually Clubhouse members, you would have had a chance to interact with them as well. So make sure you follow me on Clubhouse, you subscribe to my notifications. I get invites to send out regularly. So if you're in need of an invite, the number one place to get it is by following my email list. So go to my website, neilschafer.com. Make sure you sign up anywhere on the website and then you'll get notified the next time that I have invites available for you. Finally, every week I see this podcast sort of trending in different parts of the world and I'm just so thankful. You know, when I got started with blogging back in July of 2008, I just thought, why limit myself to my native Southern California when my voice can reach so many? So it's really awesome to see in countries like the United Arab Emirates, Thailand, Finland, India, New Zealand, Japan, arigatou gozaimasu, Ireland, Mexico, Australia, Great Britain, and of course, right here in the United States to see the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast, you know, zoom up the charts. So I want to thank you all for that. I'm committed to really providing you value and 
giving you advice that hopefully you don't find elsewhere. We, we all have something unique to contribute to society, and I'm hoping that this podcast serves you well. So thank you all. Keep subscribing. If you haven't written a review, I'd really appreciate it if you could spend a minute to do so. Follow me on Clubhouse and then get ready for episode number 200, which will be next week. But until then, wherever you are in the world, make it a great virtual social day. Bye-bye, everybody, and sayonara.